You're listening to Napa Valley College Now on NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting. This weekend, Napa Valley College celebrates its 75th anniversary. It's hard to imagine what a different kind of place it was all those years ago. Even after this current campus was built, the facility has changed in so many ways. Yet there is one constant who enhance the student experience and who leave a bit of themselves in the hearts and minds of their students. We all remember those teachers, even 20, 30, or 50 years later. At Napa Valley College, few teachers have done this as long or as consistently as John Charlesworth. Originally an astronomy and chemistry teacher, 53 years later, he's still exciting the imagination of his students. He's retiring come this May. It is my pleasure to welcome Professor John Charlesworth here to the studio today. John, thanks so much for coming in. Happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, Go back 53 years. (laughs) Talk a little bit about where you started when you first started teaching. Uh, Where was it, and what was was that like? Well, I go back even before that. Uh, I was born and raised in Napa, went through Napa schools, and in the 11th grade at Napa High School, uh, at that time, Napa Junior College was, we just called it grades 13 and 14, and it was completely integrated with the high school. So in my 11th grade classes, sometimes I walked across the lawn, this is at the current Napa High School campus, to the the junior college campus and took some classes there, their high school classes, then walked back to the regular high school building. And then the summer of 1957, they separated the college from the high school completely, separate faculty, separate everything. So when I was a senior in high school, I had all my classes at the high school building and I was a high school student. Mm -hmm. Then in fall of 58, I went, started at Napa College at the old campus still and had some of the same teachers I had in the 11th grade. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I got my AA degree at Napa College in 1960 and then went on and got my bachelor and master's degree in teaching credential at San Francisco State and was hired by Roy Patrick, f- former president of the college in 1965. And that was the year that this new campus opened. So now it's an old campus, but I still think it's our new campus compared to what we had before. And it was quite a change, and it's grown tremendously since in those days. For 50 years, things change. Things change. Talk about what the campus was like back in, in that original time in 1965. Well, I remember before it was even open, being a native Napping, that this is part of the state hospital uh, garden or orchard mostly out here and there are a lot of fruit trees uh, I take one story I one of the early years I was of course out here working on weekends as one does when one starts at a job and the cherries were in bloom and I went out and was picking some of the cherries and eating them and a young man came up with an FFA jacket future farmers of America and kind of wonder what I was doing stealing his cherries <laughs> <laughs> and I had come out like at seven in the morning and he'd come out at eight o'clock in the morning and set up a sign to cherries for sale and I Oh, I was eating I all the cherries, but the trees are almost all gone now, and every time that we'd expand and build a new building, a new parking lot, we'd have to take out more trees, and the faculty would get all upset and be moaning and complaining, and that's just part of growth, but I always think of it as, as still the old farm, and maybe I have roots there because my grandfather actually came to Napa to be a doctor at the state hospital, and he was the superintendent of the state hospital. Uh, he died when I was four years old, but my older sister can tell me how they used to walk out to the state hospital from downtown Napa and visit the grandparents. Talk a little bit about the faculty back in those days. Well, I have this different view because a lot of the people that I taught with when I started here in 65 had been my teachers, or at least on the staff, when I was a student here. And uh, 
Uh, Larry Carter was a favorite chemistry teacher of mine when I was a student, and it turned out I was his office mate when we started here in 1965, and I couldn't quite bring myself to call him Larry. I was hoping he would say to me, call me Larry, but he didn't say anything. So for a while, I called him Mr. Carter, and then I called him Carter, and finally I called him Larry, and he finally said, I've been waiting for you to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Just tortured me a little bit. But we were close-knit because we were much smaller then. We didn't have any noon classes. Most of us met in the faculty lounge, and we played cards and games and talk to work crossword puzzles or something so uh, one of the things that comes with growth is you lose that family feeling and you were originally teaching chemistry and astronomy yes and I also taught a physical science course which is elementary physics and a little bit of geology and and some physical geography so I'm a physical science major so Mm -hmm. a little of everything but mostly chemistry, mostly astronomy. Mm-hmm. And talk about the astronomy part. Obviously, it's something that you've always loved, you've been passionate about, and we'll, a little later on we'll bring it up to the present. But talk about how you got interested. Well, I think it's because of Sputnik. When I was, a high, I guess it was 57, I believe, I was a junior in high school, the Russians put up a first satellite on Earth, and we had no, we lay people had no inkling that they were a powerhouse and that they had all this technology and we were very embarrassed the United States is very embarrassed when the Russians put up Sputnik and everybody's saying we need more people to go into the sciences we got to catch up with the Russians and then a year or two later Yuri Gagarin they put a man into space and and so uh, I guess when I went to the college that was one thing in the back of my mind but the other thing uh, it's either luck or divine providence I had one good friend and his older brother had gone to Napa College and then transferred and got a degree in engineering at Sac State and he decided to follow in his brother's footsteps and as we were driving out he had a car and I didn't so I was driving with him and he said as we were driving to the college to register he said what are you going to take and I said gee I don't know don't they tell you I'm the first person in my family to have gone to college and I thought it was kind of like high school you had a few electives but they told you what to take and he said no you have to decide what you want to take so I took everything that my friend did we're still friends by the way after all these years and uh, so he was taking uh, physics and chemistry and math and so I took physics and chemistry and math and it fit with that government needs scientists and and there's also this ego thing people say oh you're a science major made you feel like you're big stuff you know (laughs) and so I did well in it so I just kept going Mm -hmm. and when you started teaching astronomy back in the days when people did care as you talked about (laughs) about the space program and men landing on the Mm -hmm. moon and all those things that those of us that are old enough remember well (laughs) talk a little bit about how you have seen that interest come and go. It's, it's had peaks well, and valleys, it yeah, seems, along uh, the way. Yeah, it sure has. Um, astronomy in itself, I'm prejudiced, of course, but I can't think of anything better to teach or more interesting. I mean, everybody looks up at the sky and wonders and has all these great questions. Uh, but uh, uh, President Kennedy said, we're going to catch up with the Russians. We're going to have a man on the moon by 1970. And so in the late 60s, interest really grew. We were building Saturn V rockets, and we were putting people into suborbital flights like John Glenn, and they were putting them into orbital flights. And the, the space age was getting lots of press. People were getting very interested. And I had to move out of my regular classroom into the theater where I had up to 150 students in a class. Everybody's interested in astronomy, and I couldn't teach five sections of 30 and still do chemistry. So we just had one giant class. And then after we put men on the moon and then the Voyager spacecraft, so in the 70s, then interest kind of waned. We had sent great spacecraft out there. I don't know if people know about the Voyager spacecraft, but they went to Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune and took all kinds of great pictures. And then interest kind of waned. And now we're back to a 50 in a class. And and uh, the people who are there are still very interested, but it's, it's not all geared towards the space race as it was in the old days. Mm-hmm. 
What's different now? What are the things that capture kids' imagination today? What is it about astronomy that interests them? Well, I think it's what would interest almost anyone, uh, a sense of awe, what's out there and where did it come from and how old is it and where is it going? And those are kind of basic questions and we try to answer as best we can. It's, it's interesting because in a way it runs counter to, you know, kind of what you see in terms of young people today, older people too, but it's it's so much more internal. We're all looking at our phones. We're oh. all looking down all the time. Well. And, and, and you forget sometimes to look up. Yes, and, and it, they're not all there because because they're so interested in astronomy. They're there because I wrote the book. We supplied it to the students really cheap. And so it was something. I have a the first day of class. I asked them, why are you in this class? I have them fill a little form right. so I'll get to know them. And some of them say, it's the only class I could afford. <laughs> so, But then my job is to get them interested in astronomy and raise these questions they haven't thought about them before. And that's fun to do. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about teaching chemistry. How Has that been different Oh, yeah. Ways? It's quite, teaching chemistry and astronomy in, in some respects are quite different. Uh, in astronomy, people to be interested in the material, but they don't take it too serious in terms of studying. You've got to study for chemistry. You've got to study for math, and astronomy is kind of fun. So it's hard to, to get them to really study. Where in chemistry, you tell a joke, and they want to write it down because they think it's going to be in the next test. So there's <laughs> a lot more tension in chemistry. But I love teaching chemistry. I've actually had more chemistry students than astronomy students because I had three sections every semester of 40 students. And I taught night school, and I taught summer school. And I like the lab, and I like making things go boom and smell like rotten eggs, and I love the, the lab part of it. And nowadays, it's much less chemicals and much more computers and measuring mm-hmm. stuff. And I, I miss the old days. We don't have hydrogen and oxygen to light it and things like that like we used to. Having done it for so many years, for 50-plus years, how do you keep it interesting for yourself? How do you make it interesting and exciting to go into that classroom for all these years? I think it's in my genes. I don't, I don't work at it. I just never gotten tired of it. I still think chemistry is really neat, and I still think astronomy is really neat, and I still think learning is really neat, and so uh, I think it's just uh, I'm an enthusiastic person about certain things, and it hasn't waned. Mm-hmm. And do the students help in that regard, their enthusiasm? Oh, sure. I mean, people ask me, why didn't you retire long ago? And I said, well, I'm having fun, but the reason I'm having fun, besides I love the subject material, I really like the students. I mean, they're people. They're not just things. They're, they're part of my job. And I, when I see them light up or I even see them frown or I just, I like interacting with the young people. They're a really nice group. Mm-hmm. And you and I were talking before we went on the air, you've also been in Napa for, gener- I mean, your well, family has been <laughs> yeah. here for generations. Yeah, yeah, so I really see Napa change. I was born here in 1940. My mother's born here in 1911. My dad's family came here in the 20s. And my wife was born in Napa. We met walking to Napa College. In those days, we walked, oh. you know. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I've really seen a lot of changes in Napa. In fact, I hardly recognize it. In the last, what, 10 or 15 years, right. we call it Yuppieville now. <laughs> I can't afford to go to the restaurants. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's really changed. But I still love the valley. I love hiking. I love the hills. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's the same? What do you feel is the same? Oh, well, are we talking Napa City? Napa. Or Napa? Okay. Well, Napa in general, city, county, whatever well, you like. You know, I don't know. Um, I have this geography in my mind. I mean, like when I was in the eighth grade, Raider Von Eulett was in my class, and the Von Eulett Ranch was out right. there where... Um, 
Knob Hill story is. And I remember once we had, we were in the same church and we went on a hayride and we went, started the Von Ulett Ranch there at Knob Hill mm. and had a horse-drawn wagon and we went way out uh, Redwood Road and around the loop and came back Browns Valley Road and uh, and that's all very urban now, but that was way out in the country. I had a, a great, no, an aunt, great aunt and great uncle who had a, a ranch uh, where the first Christian church is in Browns Valley Road that was way out in the country. So I've seen it really become urbanized. But uh, there's still a certain feeling, I don't know, maybe it's just this old-timers have this old-town feeling that if you stay away from downtown Napa, which w- w- attracts the tourists, but if you step back from that, you still have the same feeling, and you still, if you see some of the old-timers, you can talk about I went to Ridgeview the first year it was built, and I remember good old Napa High in the old days, and you know, like this stuff about the Indian. You know, right. <laughs> still, <laughs> there's still some old Napa left. Not it's not all wine and yuppies, but it still keeps changing. How did you How did you know that it was time that you wanted to retire? <sighs> My body's giving out. <laughs> uh, I have two hearing aids. Uh, I have a three-hour class, a night class. Uh, I get tired. Uh, my voice is gravelly now, and I decided it's, it's time. And actually, I was going to retire last year. And my daughter, who lives in Napa, and she has five children, four boys and a girl in that age. And and so my first grandson came through Napa College and took my two. I have two astronomy classes, one in the fall and one in the spring. So he took those two. Then two years later, the second grandson came through. Two years later, the third grandson came through. So last year when I said, I think this is going to be my last year, she said, but if you'd stay one more year, you could have your fourth grandson too. So I stayed this year, and I have my fourth grandson is in my class right now. And my fifth wife, granddaughter, won't be along for about six years, and I'll be buried by then probably. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided I'll stay one more year for my grandson's sake, and and it was fun having him in class. And it gets him into the system. I help him get registered and all that stuff. Talk about your perception of how the college has grown. Well, it's 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 grown and changed tremendously, which you'd expect with the growth. I mean, I remember when we had, I think, maybe three classified staff members, not counting the custodial staff. I mean, the president had a secretary, and there's one lady who ran the office, and now we have hundreds. But I don't think it's waste. I think we have tremendous number of student services that we didn't have in the old days. Mm-hmm. So we have people to help them read and write and do math. And we have a lot, not an extraordinary number, but a lot of underprepared students. They're not quite ready yet. A lot of Hispanics and new majority members, and we're serving very well, I think, but they often need some extra help, and we have a lot of staff to do that, and I think that's very good. Um, Another thing I see from my perspective as, as a teacher is the students are working a lot more, and if you're working a lot more at your jobs, then you have less time to study. And that's a real problem. I'm always lecturing them about procrastinating and not getting behind. But I can understand on a survey that I give them the first day of class is how, how many hours a week are you working? And, and a lot of hours. And sometimes they have to. They, for one thing, we're out in the country, to me, <laughs> and they have to have cars. We used to walk to school in my day or the buses would take us. So they have to pay for a car and the insurance and all of that. And they're often helping out at home. So uh, that's, that's a, a problem that I have a hard time getting them to do as much studying as they need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're very friendly and very um, polite. And the other thing I have a hard time getting them to do is ask questions. I'm here to answer your questions. You know, I have some knowledge here that I'd love to share with you. But if Is it harder <laughs> today to get them to ask questions than it was 20, 30 years you know, ago? 
I have a hard time remembering the last one. <laughs> but I think so. I think maybe I'm stereotyping, but I think the the Hispanic students are more in awe of people in authority. Mm-hmm. So I'm the professor, and you don't want to, you know, they, they feel hesitant to ask the professor. But even when I was a student, I felt nervous going to the professor's office. You know, it was like the inner sanctum or something. And so it's really difficult to get them to ask questions. But I, I keep joking a lot, trying to seem like I'm more approachable and hope that helps. <laughs> because you teach in the sciences and astronomy and chemistry both, a lot's happened in 50 years in terms of advancement in both of those areas. Talk a little bit about keeping up with that at the same time. That's a hard part of the, the job. It's harder in astronomy than it was in chemistry because I only taught the beginning chemistry courses and not a lot changes in protons and neutrons and electrons. So it wasn't too hard to keeping up in chemistry. But astronomy's just changed fantastically. And one of the things that I don't know if it bores my students, but I'm frequently saying, I remember when we used to believe this, or I remember when that happened, and that was 45 years ago or 50 years ago, and, and said, we don't believe that anymore, and that's all changed, and so it makes me less dogmatic. So I'll say, this is what we think today, and it may be true, but somebody else may come up with something tomorrow, because it's all tentative. Talk a little bit about students that have come back to see you years later and, and, it, and really, in many cases, telling you how you've impacted their lives, well, either in terms of education or other parts of the teaching. That's uh, very pleasurable. Uh, I counted up uh, within a few hundred how many students I've had, and it's been 17,000. I was even wow. surprised at that, but it, it actually works out <laughs> to be correct. And that's a lot of students, and I frequently go out without uh, one of them approaching me and say, Mr. Charlesworth, I was in your class way back. And I, of course, I don't remember them, or most of <laughs> but I always say, oh, yes, you were my best student. <laughs> and then they'll say, obviously, you don't remember me. <laughs> or one time recently, one said, yes, I was. <laughs> but it, it's great fun uh, to see that I've affected them and they are, they're happy they took my class and, and maybe I've turned something on. Just yesterday I got a letter addressed to me at the college uh, from a student who said, you've had three generations of my family who wanted to wish you a happy retirement and you've had a great influence on our life and that's very fulfilling. And what do you want to do in retirement? You know, I don't know how life can be so busy. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I garden a lot and I play with my grandkids a lot and I read a lot and I ride my bike and they're just... I, I never have any free time. I, I have a hammock that I've had for 10 years, and I probably spent two hours in it. <laughs> but I'm kind of a hyper fellow, so maybe the hammock's not for me. <laughs> you think you'll miss the students? Oh, yes. I, I, I'm sure I will. But I, as I say, I keep running into them every time I go to the store. So <laughs> I'll miss teaching. But uh, I think the time has come. John Charlesworth, I thank you so much for coming in and sharing some of this with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. NapaBroadcasting.com the online radio home of Napa Valley College.